Hello friends, I'm Vance Rains, Senior Pastor of First Church Coral Springs. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this is a source of inspiration and faith as you grow in your walk with Christ. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Great to see everybody this morning. Today we are in week two of our new series that we're calling Magnetic Faith, magnetic faith. We're using the the image of a magnet as a metaphor. Uh, What does a magnet do? It attracts, right? It attracts. And we're saying that Jesus is magnetic. He's attractive. He draws people to him. He always has. uh, But now uh, we are his hands and feet in the world. And so he uses us to draw people to him. Uh, Today we're going to talk about uh, the magnetic quality of hospitality, which you may not realize is a a very biblical, spiritual teaching, hospitality. So I was born in 1967, which I know is shocking. I look much younger, I know. Uh, Everybody goes, oh, I thought you had to be older. Uh, No, 67. I was born in Orlando. Uh, when I was born in Orlando, the greater, what we know today is the greater Orlando area. It was smaller back then. The greater Orlando area uh, had a population of about a half million people back in 51 years ago, 500,000 people. Today, two million people. And growing, right? And there's predominantly one reason for that growth in my lifetime. It is... Disney World, that's right. Uh, in 1971, October, uh, Disney World opens, it opened its doors. Uh, and of course, tourism took over Central Florida. In addition to now the 2 million people who live uh, in Orlando, the greater Orlando area, another 50 million people come to Orlando every year to experience uh, all that Orlando has to offer, from, literally from all around the world. Now, I can tell you, I, you know, I was a child when Disney opened, uh, that, that it changed everything in Orlando, that Orlando's economy changed to becoming a tourist-based economy, um, and, and, and Disney influenced everything. And so one way that I think that Disney particularly influenced uh, Orlando, business in Orlando, and growing up in Orlando was around this topic of hospitality. Um, Orlando, Orlando, Disney has um, in their mission uh, the desire to make sure that everyone who is a guest there experiences the Disney magic. Like it's the magic kingdom, right? Like they want people to have a magical experience. And so if you work at Disney as an employee, you're called the cast. And every cast member is trained in hospitality. And they're told this, always remember the magic starts with you. Or begins with you. The magic begins with you. And here's what that literally means. No matter what your job is at Disney, uh, if you're the person who just goes around and sweeps, I don't know if you realize there's a lot of people at Disney, they're just sweeping things up to keep it perfect, right? Um, or the person that's, uh, you know, kind of controlling the line to Space Mountain or the person selling the turkey legs in Frontierland or whatever it is, like whatever your job is, you have permission to deviate from what the normal routine work is, to do whatever it takes to make sure someone's having a magical experience. And so if, if it means putting down your, your broom to take somebody's picture or give them direction, you're, 
You, you're expected to do that, um, even to the point that you're allowed to give away free food if you're uh, an employee. Some of you are nodding, you know this. Like you can give somebody an ice cream cone if you know that that's going to make their day uh, more magical. Well, this influenced everything in Orlando. Um, every, every store, retail, every, every restaurant, every hotel had to learn to be more similar to Disney in their practice of hospitality Um, and by the way I'm southern and you've all heard about southern hospitality right you know so I grew up in it and I think it's in my DNA like this is this is a big deal so I just want you to think for a minute about your experience of hospitality when have you felt like you've really been welcomed when have you experienced great hospitality when have you felt like you, you are wanted here. Somebody's gone the extra mile, and I don't just mean here, but I do mean here. When, when in your life have you experienced when somebody has greeted you with open arms and made a place for you to make you feel special? And I would say, how, how, how are we doing at that? You know, as a church, you know, how are we practicing this important value, which is biblical, of hospitality? How important is it to us? Does it really matter? And so I want you to look around for a minute, just from wherever you are, just just look around. Too many of you are looking at me, you're not looking around. Look around, look around. I want you to see somebody near you that you don't know their name. They can be really close, they can be arm's length, unfortunately it may be. Look around, do you see somebody you don't know, you don't know their name? Reach out to them. Say, I'm glad you're here this morning. My name is. I'd like to know your name. Reach out to them. You can stand up if you need to. You can stand. You can walk around if you need to. Everybody, meet somebody you don't know. Get their name. Tell them your name. I want everybody. Everybody gets a name. Very good. Thank you for doing that. I hope you'll do that every week. I hope you'll do that as you leave here today. I hope you'll do that because that's important. It's valuable. As we think about what it means to be magnetic Christians, hospitality is a big part of it. How we welcome people, how we make them feel special is attractive. And when we don't, it's not. There's a Benedictine monk by the name of Daniel Holman who writes about um, hospitality. He says, somewhere, sometime, you were excluded. Can you think of a time that you felt excluded, unwanted? Everybody has gone through that. Somewhere, sometime, you were excluded. Remember what it was like. Some people live with that experience constantly, hopefully never here. Uh, in 2009, uh, Kelly and I were uh, sent, our family was sent to Port St. Lucie. Uh, we were assigned to 10 acres of dirt and, uh, and told, start a church. Uh, we didn't know anybody in that community at all. And so we literally were starting from scratch. So of course I'd started, you know, learning about the community, never even been there before. Uh, you know, who lives here? What's it like? And what we discovered in the area where we were supposed to start the church Um, It was largely people who had lived hard lives. Um, Most people in that part of the community had lived up in the Northeast and had escaped. And a lot of people from the Northeast feel like they escape when they come to Florida. But literally, these people felt like they had escaped. They'd been through um, abusive situations. They'd been a part of families breaking apart. Some of them had been in legal trouble. Some had been in jail. Um, All addiction issues. Lots of people were ending up in this community 
on the run, basically, trying to kind of get away from what had happened previously in their life and to, to try to start over. Um, and a lot of these folks, um, blue-collar, hardworking uh, folk, um, weren't churchgoers. And largely because they, they would not feel like they were accepted in church. Some of it was their appearance, you know, they didn't have nice clothes to wear to church. Some of them was their past, you know, somebody like me probably isn't welcome in church. Some of them had, you know, grown up in churches that told them they were sinners now. Um, well, aren't we all sinners, right? And so uh, we made a very strong point from the very beginning that we were going to be a church for people who don't think you're allowed to go to church. We're going to be a church for people who don't think uh, church is a place for them. And we worked hard at that from the beginning. We communicated that from the beginning. And one thing that I did in particular to help kind of facilitate that was I grew my hair very long. Uh, My hair used to be down around here. Um, And I uh, had both of my ears were pierced double um, and I wore earrings. And on Sunday mornings, I would wear jeans and T-shirt. I got a tattoo. Um, And I did that all very on, on purpose. So that when you walk in, you would see me and say, well, I guess if he's here, it's okay for me to be here. (laughs) Now, I don't know if any of that actually worked, but I can tell you that there were some people who would come in, more traditional church people, they would come in and they wouldn't stay very long. And I don't know if it was me or if it was the people that looked like me that were in the church or our style, but they wouldn't stay. And you know what? I was okay with that because I knew there were lots of churches in our community for people like them. But people that looked more like me, that I knew had lived difficult lives, would stay. And that's who we were trying to reach because I knew there wasn't a church for them in that community. And so I was glad to have them. One of the things that happened almost every Sunday uh, is that that, uh, people would come and line up after church to show me their new tattoos, often which was a a Jesus tattoo next to something that was not very Jesus. Uh, (laughs) Jesus next to a lovely young lady or something. Uh, It was... Always interesting, but hey, you know, uh, it, was, it was good. Glad they were there. Now, an interesting thing happened. I, I left there and I moved to Tallahassee, where I became the campus minister at FSU. Still had long hair, still wore the earrings, didn't bother my students at all. But a, a different situation happened in that I needed to raise money to operate our campus ministry. I didn't, students weren't going to pay for it. So I had to go out. And one of the ways I raised money was when friends would be out of town, pastors, and needed a pastor to fill in for them on Sunday morning, I would go and preach at these other churches um, and, and raise money. I would always say, can I ask for an offering? And they would let me. And so time and time again, I would show up at a church before the service started, right? Because I'm here to pray. I'm going to come early, introduce myself with a robe over my arm, often if it was a church that wore robes, Bible in hand. And I'd walk in, long hair, earrings, and no one would look at me. No one would speak to me. This happened church after church after church. And I would go up to somebody and say, excuse me, um, I'm a friend of Pastor So-and-so, I'm here to preach. (laughs) Oh, right? And after that kept happening time and time again, you know what I figured out? What worked in Port St. Lucie to reach people isn't working to raise money. So I cut my hair and I took the earrings out. And it made me a better fundraiser. Did it make me a better pastor? Did it make me a better Christian? Did it make me a better person? Some of you think it did. (laughs) 
And so for those of you who think it did make me a better person, you should know I still have holes in both ears and I still have earrings in my dresser and I'd be glad to show you them someday. And I'm still long haired in my heart. So take that. (laughs) See, here's the thing. And I think this happens to all of us. When I just said, reach out and talk to somebody you don't know, that feels awkward, doesn't it? Like just someone I don't know, just reaching out past my comfort zone, it feels uncomfortable. Now, if that person is different than me, they speak a different language, they look different than me, they they don't look like the people I'm usually with, I don't know you, that begins to feel more than awkward. It feels uncomfortable. It maybe even feels fearful. I think sometimes we're just scared of people because they're different than us, right? And I think we're living in a time where we're more afraid of people than ever. Now, I'm I'm about to say something, and I know for some of you it's going to sound like I'm getting political. My purpose is not to be political, but I just think it needs to be said. There's a lot of conversation right now about our government being being shut down, and the whole issue of the government being shut down is around a wall right? The building of a wall to keep certain people um, out of our country uh, that, that could do us harm. Listen, I get it. We can't just have open borders where people just come in who anybody, everybody, we can't do that. We've got to have policies. We've got to have ways of doing this. I get that. Maybe a wall is the way to do that. Maybe it's not. I'm not taking a stance on that. That's not my point. The thing that concerned me, though, and I listened to the president the other night, and I'm not condemning him, I I think it's reflective of where a lot of us are, is that when he talked about the people who are trying to cross our southern border, he referred to them as murderers and as rapists and as drug dealers. And I didn't hear him once say how much immigrants have contributed to our country. I didn't hear him once say that we're a nation of immigrants. I didn't hear him once refer to them as Christians, and most of them are, by the way. And so what what, what concerned me, and for us, is not specifically what he said, but that it betrays an overgeneralization of people. If you listen to that talk, it might sound like, oh my gosh, thousands upon thousands of terrorists and criminals and drug dealers and the reality is there, there are some of those, and we've got to do what we can to make sure that we're safe from them. But there was, where was the compassion for the horrors that people are leaving? Where was the, the, the dignity of seeing people as humans? See, my fear is that we are living in a time of fear where increasingly we're seeing everybody as scary, Right? And so we live in homes with security systems and we live in communities that are, that are gated and, and we, live, you know, we live in good neighborhoods, not bad neighborhoods, and our schools, and, you know, we've got to build walls around them and, and have metal detectors and hire safety officers. And we're talking about it here at church more than ever. How do we keep everybody safe? And safety is wise. But my question is how do we balance safety with open-hearted, godly hospitality? right? Do do we have to pick one over the other? Can we continue to remember to welcome people the way we would want to be welcomed? Are we in our fear in ways we may not even be conscious of pushing people away from ourselves? Maybe from Jesus? I don't know. Diana Butler Bass speaking figuratively says we all have fences we will always have fences but good fences have what gates Gates. we're not talking about a wall on our southern border she's talking about our attitudes 
And that is where the hospitality comes in, right? And so just think about that image. You, you know, somebody's standing at the door, the door is open, and they're reaching out a hand and saying, please come in, Spanish, pasa adelante, bienvenidos, right? You know, it's that, that gracious welcome in versus the door is shut, the door is locked, there is no place for you here. What, right? One is attractive and one is repulsive, right? And so why would it be such a big deal for us here at church? Is it just a ministry strategy to be hospitable? Or is it deeper than that? I want to suggest today it's much deeper than that. When we talk about hospitality, Christine Pohl, who's a seminary professor, says, by definition, hospitality involves some space into which people are welcomed, a place where unless the invitation is given, the stranger would not feel free to enter. Henry Nouwen writes, In our world full of strangers, estranged from our own past, culture, and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, from their deepest self and their God, we witness a painful search for a hospitable place. He's saying that we all are just looking for some place to welcome me, to accept me, where I know that I'm wanted, as I am, with my long hair where life can be lived without fear, where community can be found. That's what we're talking about next week. It is obligatory. Notice that word? Obligatory. Not just a good strategy. It's obligatory for Christians to offer an open and hospitable space where strangers can cast off their strangeness. What a great line. And become our fellow human beings where strangers can cast off their strangeness and become our fellow human beings. So I want to talk about biblically this value of hospitality. Um, It really begins in the experience of the Exodus. Remember last summer how we did a series on the Exodus that the Israelites had gone to Egypt uh, in need of grain and they had settled there, but then after many generations they had been forced into harsh slavery Their cries went up to God. God heard them. He sent Moses to be their deliverer. He took them out to uh, the wilderness, leading them to the promised land where they would become a nation. And in that process of leading them from slavery into freedom, he gave them a number of instructions. Like, you are going to be different. And in one way, Leviticus 19, 33 through 34, he says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, Do not mistreat them. Why? Because they mistreated you, is what he's saying. We're not going to do that. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born, as one of you. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. We're not going to treat people like foreigners. Now, this I'm not talking what we're doing as a nation. I'm talking about what we're doing as a church. Like this is a, a this is an application for God's. People, when somebody comes to us, do we treat them as a stranger or do we treat them as a long lost friend? Oh, you're home, finally. We're glad you're here. Right? That's a that's a biblical standpoint. Now, take it a step further. If you go to Hebrews chapter 13, 2, there's this really interesting phrase. It says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. This takes it up a notch. He's saying, you know, it might be that God comes visiting one day and looks like that stranger that you're scared of. 
It's a reference back to the book of Genesis when Abraham and Sarah had three travelers stop by their tent and they prepared a meal for them. It turns out it was God. He's like, you know, take, take it up a notch. It's not just like we have good manners. It's not just we're going to treat people better than we're treated. It's we, we anticipate God visits from time to time and it might just be a stranger. Show hospitality to strangers. I mean, that's the idea. Do we, when we meet somebody new, see them as possibly God's messenger? Do we, do we treat people as angels? I would argue that most of the time we just kind of ignore people. It's easier to talk to the person I know. It's easier to talk to the person that looks like me. It's easier to talk to the person that I understand their accent. And oftentimes we just, we're not rude to people. We're just kind of neutral to people. It's like, no, 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 treat people like angels. God might have sent that person specifically for you. might say it this way. Jesus talked about the golden rule. Do you know the golden rule came from Jesus? Luke 6.31, do to others as do to others as you would have them do to do. Welcome others as you would have them welcome you, right? Extend courtesy, extend hospitality as you would hope they would do the same for you. I'm just going to share something a little personal. Um, somebody at the end of the last service said something that really hurt my feelings. They really made me angry. And I don't know about you, but when somebody hurts my feelings and makes me angry, I have a tendency to just close off. Like, yep, I'm just going to back away from you, right? And because I preach this message today, <laughs> I'm reminded, like, I don't get to do that. Because the truth is, I've hurt and offended people too sometimes. And so if I want them to forgive me, I need to forgive this person. If I, want, if I want those people that I occasionally hurt and offend to keep their walls down with me, then I've got to keep my wall down with this person, right? I don't think they meant to hurt me. They did. But I can't leave that wall up. Do to others as you would hope they would do for you. Desmond Tutu says, you want to make a person feel really as they are. Right? Not as, not, we're not pretending here. You want to make them feel as they are. Special and accepted. Now, now let's take this even a step further. So we start with, like, we're not going to treat people like Egyptians treated us. We're not going to do that. Then take it a step further. We're going to greet people like angels because sometimes God delivers, you know, visits us that way. Take it a step further. The New Testament says over and over and over that you and I were strangers of God because of sin. I mean, that's the theological understanding of why Jesus came is because we were separated from God in sin. He says, God demonstrates, this is Paul writing, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, he came for us. He didn't wait till we got it right. He didn't wait till we got cleaned up. He didn't wait till us to get a haircut. He just came for us. And notice this next line. There's more to it, but notice, for if while we were God's, what? That's a strong word. We were God's enemies. If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, right? then he goes on to explain what that means. But just think, just, I just want you to hear that word enemy, that he came for us even when we were his enemies. He came and made a way for us not to be enemies, but it goes on to say how much more are we his, his children. He took the first step. If you go to Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, Paul is saying something similar, but he's writing to Gentiles. Gentile means non-Jews. That's most of us. He says, remember that at that time, meaning when Christ came, you were separate from Christ, 
You were unwelcome in his presence, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You, you were a stranger to God. You were an enemy to God. You were a foreigner to God. But he took the step to make you feel welcome, to make it possible for you to approach him, it says in Hebrews, to approach him boldly now. And as Christ welcomes us, what's the next step? We welcome others, right? As, as we have received his welcome, now we extend that welcome to others. I mean, what could be possibly be more magnetic or attractive than knowing you are welcome even though you don't deserve to be? Knowing that you are wanted even when you feel unworthy of being wanted. That you are, have an, an extension of grace being given to you when you know you're not grace worthy. Think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus said, I'm going to your house today. We're going to have a party, right? Says to Matthew, the tax collector, come on, follow me. He gets in a boat with Peter who falls at his feet and says, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And he says, no, come on, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Think about, about Mary Magdalene, who supposedly was infested with demons and yet became his, you know, one of his most cherished friends. Think about the woman caught in adultery. Think about the woman at the well. Over and over, Jesus welcomed them. Think about the children, like they kept trying to keep the children away. You know, like, don't bother them, don't bother them. He goes, no, let them come. Prostitutes, let them come. Tax collectors, let them come. Gentiles, let them come. Like, he, he just was always welcoming and embracing. What can be more attractive to that? And then the opposite, what could be more repulsive than when we're ignored? When we're not valued, when we're not treated like a child of God, but rather treated like one of those people, whoever those people are. And so let's go through this again. Biblical hospitality, it's as simple as this. Israel, you, you were treated badly. Let's not do that. Then take it a step further. You know, we should show hospitality because sometimes God shows up. It's true. Then take it a step further. By the way, theologically, you were all strangers once. You were all foreigners. You all were, were out of God's sight, out of God's family, but he brought you back. But the Bible even takes it one step further. Jesus said on numerous occasions, when you welcome the stranger, you're welcoming me. It's not just an angel. <laughs> You might very well be welcoming me. Matthew 10, 40, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent, sent me. I remember the story where at the end of time, you know, Jesus gathers everybody together and then he separates. There's goats over here and sheep over here. And, and he says to the sheep, come with me, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a... We miss that one sometimes, right? I was a stranger. And you welcome me in. And then, of course, the sheep say, like, whoa, 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 wait, Lord, when did we ever see you naked or hungry or thirsty? And when were you a stranger? We've always known you. He said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And hospitality is about welcoming Jesus. It's not just like welcoming Jesus. It's welcoming Jesus. 
I had a friend, I have a friend who's a pastor now. Um, before she was a pastor, I remember she told me the story. She was in one of these, you know, big, beautiful downtown churches, you know, lots of people, a lot of money. And she's sitting on the pew by herself waiting for the sermon. And, and along comes this homeless person that sits next to her, smells bad, dressed bad, dirty. And she looked over him and all of a sudden was just overwhelmed with, Jesus, is that you? Is that you? I mean, that's what he's saying. Do we recognize Christ? If he lives in me, he lives in you. He also lives in the homeless person. He also lives in the person who speaks Spanish. He also lives in the, the person who's here legally, the person who's here illegally. He lives in men and women, young and old, et cetera, et cetera. Do we recognize Christ in everyone who just wants to be known if they're welcome? Who just wants to know if they're welcome? You may have heard of Bedouins before. You know that term, Bedouin, right? Bedouins are a group of people in the, in the Middle East. There's about four, billion, four million uh, uh, Bedouins. Uh, they live uh, across borders. Uh, they, they don't have a homeland. There's not a nation of Bedouins. They, they live in Jordan and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Israel. They, they just move around. They live in tents. And they've lived like this for centuries, much like the Israelites did many, many years ago. And they practice... Um, hospitality, much as we do, we hear, read about it in the Bible. And I love this expression. This is a Bedouin phrase that you show up at their tent sometime, they'll welcome you in. And the expression is, had I known that you would honor me by walking this way, I should have strewn the path between your house and mine with mint and rose petals. Isn't that nice? I just love that expression, with mint and rose petals. See, here's the last part of Hospitality. If hospitality is being welcome in a place that you otherwise might assume you aren't welcome, somehow an invitation has to be given, right? I mean, it's one thing for us to offer, you know, people out in the parking lot to help you park. That's a good thing for hospitality. It's one thing to have a, a welcome center where you can get information, a cup of coffee. That's good. It's one thing when you, you know, have at the door, people welcoming you in. But what if somebody at their house thinks they would never accept me? They would never want me. There's not a place for me in a church like that. How would they ever know that the hospitality is extended unless we do what it takes to take rose petals to their door and make a path for them to ours? Of course, I don't mean that literally. But are we as a church, are we communicating to this community? There's a path for you here. We are ready. Our, our arms are open. We want you. We want you. Do we extend that same welcome that we feel here? We, we feel welcome. We wouldn't be here if we weren't. Do we extend that to others? That's how hospitality begins. Would you come? We'll love you. Right? God goes to us. He came for us. Jesus came for us to welcome him in. Are we doing the same? Let's pray. And so, God, I pray um, that you might open our eyes to see opportunities in this community to extend that invitation and to drop some rose petals in front of somebody. And maybe it's a new neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a, a, a family that, that their kids attend the same school as our kids. I don't know, Lord, but maybe you would start to open up possibilities, opportunities for us to extend the invitation 
and to open our hearts wide. Lord, where there are fences built up around our hearts, would you, would you put in some gates? Where we are fearful of the stranger, Lord, would you give us courage? Lord, may we begin people who live the golden rule to treat others the way we want to be treated, to, to reach out to them, to love them, to extend grace to them as you have for us. Would you make us magnetic people and would you make this a magnetic church so that people can know you as we do? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about First Church and our ministries, visit us online at welovefirst.church.